Live from ClickOrlando.com, this is News 6 and this is a News 6 Plus takeover. Here now is Matt Austin and Ginger Gadston with Florida's Fourth Estate. Sponsored by Light Orlando, delivering hope together. It's fantastic, yeah, I think it's very cool. It's interesting that it's something so old that it's been there for a long time and they didn't know about it. An Orlando company is at the heart of an epic find. They started to see signs of wood, and then they started to, as they uncovered more, they started to see the shape of this. You know, every once in a while in Florida, we find the craziest things. We're used to uncovering prehistoric animals now, but we have found something so interesting, not prehistoric, but it does date back to the 19th, 19th century. And it is so important that construction workers stopped right in their tracks. I'm talking about some sort of vessel that was found in, of all places, downtown St. Augustine. Matt, I always love when we can uncover some Florida history, and we're going to find out if it does have a really deep Florida history. Yeah, I thought maybe archaeologists where you were going there unearthed one of your old white snake <laughs> jackets or something, but no. Oh, really? Uh, Is that where you out... thought I was going? Wow. <laughs> You've been it, holding on to that. I have. I have. I've been waiting <laughs> for that one for a while. But yeah, people don't give Florida credit enough for the amount of history that has happened here. Much of it is either buried in the ocean, we'll find it under the sand, or sometimes okay. under a road. And that happened <laughs> just recently. And so we brought in one of the archaeologists who is trying to unearth this history for us. His name is Jim Delgado. He is the VP at a company called Search, and he's helped leading the efforts under the way. Uh, Jim, thank you so much for joining us for Florida's Fourth Estate. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Oh, man, this is this is good. These are the kind of stories that we absolutely love. It is so Florida. So kind of take us back to how this happened. Basically, a construction crew was doing some work. And then how do you get the call? How does that work? Well, Florida Department of Transportation has a whole range of projects at any given time in the state. And we as search work closely with FDOT, as well as with other departments of transportation and other government entities all over the country and even internationally. When a project like this happens, you have construction work going around the clock. And so we have what we call archaeological monitors. They're there in case something is found as a trench is being dug or a street is coming up. And in this case, the monitor was Dr. Sam Turner, who lives in St. Augustine and who is, amongst his many skills, both a maritime scholar and archaeologist. So digging a trench that was going to be for laying a pipe to do the draining of stormwater from St. Augustine. The backhoe scraped and Sam saw at the bottom of the trench an outline looked like a thin plank, freshly cut. He jumped on down after they paused that big backhoe, took his trowel, carefully cleaned it away and said, I think this is the side of a boat. <laughs> only, only Sam. I mean, the right person at the right place at the right time. He, he nailed it, um, no pun intended, because... <laughs> but he didn't crush it. <laughs> well, not only did they not crush it, but I mean, if you look at the pictures, a little bit of displacement from one of the frames or, well, you know, folks ashore call a rib, and a little bit of a scrape on the plank, and that's it. This otherwise incredibly delicate, small craft, vessel, big boat, small ship, 
that had been sitting down there for over a hundred years, maybe even longer, that had been so soaked by salt water when it was originally just in that, that wet environment and then filled over, that it was basically the consistency in many places of wet cardboard. It is always impressive when we can find things like that in the earth here in Florida. Not so long ago, maybe a couple of years ago, there was some canoe. It looked like petrified wood, but it, somebody recognized it as a canoe. Now, do we know what this vessel, you, you described it, uh, gave a little bit of the dimensions. Can you give us a, a little bit more detail about the dimensions and what it was possibly used for? Is, or is it too early in the investigation process to know that? It's not too early. And what we can say now with more certainty is it is a vessel of the 19th century. It is probably a vessel built within the last 20 years of that century. So let's say 1880 to about 1900, probably closer to 1880. And it was a small, maybe no more than 24 to 28 foot long, seven foot wide at its biggest extent, uh, flat bottomed, one or two masted boat built either for oystering or fishing, or maybe even as Sam and I were talking the other day for d delivering squash or, or oranges to market on the busy St. Augustine waterfront uh, before it changed and became more modern and bigger piers and wharves were built and that waterfront moved out over it. But what we also know, and what's really exciting is that this vessel was built probably by the very guy or guys that worked in it. It's only a one or two person boat. Simply built uh, in the 1880s, a guy that wrote a history of shipbuilding in the country, talked about what was happening then. He said, anybody, one person, two, with a saw, a hammer, a chisel, a plane, a paintbrush and a caulking gun, you know, could basically build one of these things. And when it was done, take it apart or just leave it there and build another one within a day or two. That means that what we have here is something that was once common, but is pretty much forgotten other than in a couple of academic treatises and people have very few people alive even have a sense of what these were. And yet these were the working craft that regular ordinary folks were building and using it was the way they, they kept their families fed. It's how they paid their rent. It's what they did. And we forget about them until something like this is found. I find it so fascinating, the fact that all of what you just said, nobody today could pull any of that off, especially like you think <laughs> of one guy toiling away uh, doing all of this stuff. So I know whenever we have these stories, especially when they get posted online, you always get the trolls or the people out there who say, why do I care? Like you're stopping, hey, I want this new road so I can get to work. I don't really care about this 100-year-old uh, lumber that's buried in the ground. So tell us, I mean, what you said, that's enough for me to care, but what what can we learn about why is this so important that we treat this stuff with care? I've got a bunch of books behind me that are history books. And some of them are archaeology books. Most of the time, the names that are in those books are the politicians. They're the rich people. They're the big mm -hmm. folks. They're the people that have made a splash in history. That's not what history is really all about. History is about all of us. History is about what it takes to just get up and go and to raise a family or to go to work, to do the best you can with the circumstances life has dealt you. Something like this, I think, is a reminder that 
that is the reality of history. But I'm also going to say this, as we're working there, and the construction crew is setting there, waiting for us to be done, we needed to do this fast so that we wouldn't hold up the work. We needed to do it absolutely right. FDOT has always insisted on that. That's what we do. Mm -hmm. uh, we do it right. In this case, we used water to melt the mud to do it quicker, but also to keep that thing perfectly preserved. And we worked with the construction crew who were getting paid to work alongside of us with the understanding that I'd get that boat out in just five days time. Another project like that in Istanbul, where I worked, took over a month to get a similar size boat out with mm, wow. approached by academics. We did just as good a job with the construction crew working alongside of us and getting paid as the archeologists were. And in five days, that project was done. But as that's happening, there are people that are stopping by, they're asking questions, it's out there on social media. So I would say that while there are always gonna be those who say, what do I care? Or what, this, what meaning has this? There's a lot of other people who do care and have that interest. And with that, so many of them were the, the, the team on the construction crew who for a moment were able to step through this portal in the past to a life other than their own. Coming up, here's what's next after experts were able to bring this vessel out of the ground and the interesting set of circumstances that led James to start doing this kind of research in the first place. Welcome back. We're talking to the man at the center of an Orlando company responsible for unearthing a 19th century vessel after it was found under a street in St. Augustine. The team on the construction crew who, for a moment, were able to step through this portal in the past to a life other than their own. Uh, I love that because that, you know, you can, you, when you are out there digging this thing up with such care, you are reaching into the past and you can almost imagine the men or the man who would have been on that, maybe providing for his family, what he would have looked like and what else he may have done. So you guys got it. It's perfectly preserved, right? What was the process of lifting it, taking it somewhere? Where is it? And when will we if ever, be able to see it. So the process was very careful and meticulous while fast. We got all of the overburden and that's oyster shell and thick mud. We melted all that down, exposed it, documented it, lifted it out piece by piece, plank by plank, uh, put it on back stretcher boards, really, made of plywood. Uh, the construction crew helped, they built those carried and lifted them up, including the big backbone of the boat. All of that went up and then went into fresh water. It's currently at the Lighthouse Maritime Museum and, and site. We LAMP, the Lighthouse Archaeological Maritime Program there, were partners and helped with the project, as did the city of St. Augustine's Archaeological uh, Department. Uh, that simple process in that five days got us to a place now where it's safe, out of the way, and kept wet so it won't deteriorate. Now what has to follow would be more documentation, reconstructing it on paper, and discussions beginning about what's next. To preserve it, to keep it so that it could be seen and, and uh, visited in a museum, would be a lengthier process and one that would cost. 
And at this stage, what we're doing is lining everything up so informed decisions can be made. But also, the best part of it is here you are calling and you want to talk about this. And that ongoing interest is an important part of the story as well. There's something about that. Whether in all the years I've worked on this, whether it has been a bigger shipwreck, I mean, Titanic, you know, the wrecks at Pearl Harbor, others that I've worked on, the Clotilda, the last slave ship, these powerful stories that connect us Mm -hmm. to ships like that are one part of it. But there's also these vessels that, with no name, speak to the reality of life as well. And that, sharing that, that's practically one of the best days on the job. Oh, that man. gave me a chill. I know that this guy. Uh, to use a boat analogy, <laughs> I like the cut of your jib, man. You're you're a good storyteller, which is important for this. You've got to drive this all home. Uh, I would imagine to keep funding, to keep interest, and all of that stuff. I want to know. Okay, I I didn't know your history as well as apparently I should have. I didn't know you worked on all those projects. Tell me, this is a Florida-centric show, so tell me what project you've worked on and maybe you've uncovered in the state of Florida or or near the state of Florida that would shock people and that maybe even surprised you as you were getting involved in it. I'm sure there's going to be a few people out there that recognize me as uh, the longtime contributor and one of the co-creators of uh, National Geographic's Drain the Oceans. And with Drain the Oceans, we have shared some amazing Florida stories. And my favorite uh, recent memory was the incredible Civil War ship Maple Leaf sunk in the St. Johns River in Jacksonville, where Keith Holland and others from a local archaeological society found this vessel, excavated part of it, perfectly preserved in the mud with the personal belongings of soldiers from the Civil War. It's a national historic landmark. It's still there in the St. John's. And we were able to tell that story to a global audience through the National Geographic Network and connect people to that past with the magic of the show, literally taking the water away with computer graphics and showing you what it looked like on the seabed. Or in this case, on the bottom of the St. John's, which having dived in a river like that, you can't see anything. Mm -hmm. But computer graphics show you. So, yeah. That's incredible. Thank you for being a part of making sure that people know there's more to the state than just Florida man stories, that we have such great history here. But when you're talking about St. Augustine, the oldest city in the country, 1565, right? What else do you think, if you use your creative mind, and I know you have it, what do you think is down there? That can't be the only vessel from the 19th century. There have to be things from way back when buried somewhere beneath that city. You can't take a shovel to the ground in St. Augustine and not find history. (laughs) So they say. And so with that, um, there's an incredible amount of history that's literally there. Years ago, working uh, with a famous raconteur and shipwreck uh, aficionado and an author by the name of Clive Cussler, we, we did a show with Clive called The Sea Hunters, uh, now largely forgotten. It's been over 20 years since we were on the air. But with that, what we used to say, and I think it's a very applicable here, is Clive would always close by saying, now it's your turn to get up off that couch and to go into the mountains, into the deserts, into the oceans, or in this case, in St. Augustine, into your own backyard and search for history. There's nothing finer. And that's, that's the reality. But St. Augustine and many other places around the world and just consider this what is your backyard no matter where you live in the world 
is of interest to other people and as much can also be of great interest to you if you just take the time to look a little further or in our case look a little deeper yeah i feel like i'm a neanderthal kind of going through life a lot of times i feel like i probably kicked through rocks that were something super important to history because every time we do these stories on the news we show like ginger was talking about that canoe earlier i would have thought for sure that was just a chunk of an old piece of wood wouldn't look twice at it i've done stories with treasure hunters who show me the little coins that they find on say the atocha or something and I'm like, I would have never thought for a moment that that was a priceless piece of history. And so I'm, I'm fascinated by all that you guys do. And I'm so glad people like you are out there to tell the story. Jim, just tell me, what got you into this? How did you get into this whole pursuit as your life? My fifth and sixth grade teachers and then growing up in the San Francisco Bay Area at a time when Silicon Valley didn't exist but was about to, they hit a burial ground with over 3,000 burials right by where I lived and I ended up volunteering and helped rescue hundreds of those burials as a 14 year old. Uh, not too bad a start actually. My mother was <laughs> not too shabby. <laughs> what are you doing son? Oh, just recovering several hundred dead people. <laughs> with, you with, know, with and care and working with the local community and the local indigenous community. Yeah, absolutely. That didn't freak you I, out as a kid, as a fourteen-year-old digging up dead bodies. That didn't. I'm an archaeologist, man. I, I was fascinated <laughs> by it. Um, my parents used to take me to the museum and look at Egyptian mummies. And when they said I couldn't go to Egypt and work, hey, fate intervened, and right in our own neighborhood, they hit this thousands of years old site that was being bulldozed away in the absence of any laws to protect it and in stepped the university and volunteers and we saved what we could and worked with the local tribe. Do you feel like what we know about history before us is correct? You know, like there's a lot of sort of challenging narratives out there that say maybe the way we thought everything went down in the last couple of thousand years isn't what we actually think. What, what, what's your interpretation of that? Archaeology is constantly revealing things that remind us of what Mark Twain once said about his father. And Twain commented on the fact that when he left home as a younger man, he was stunned by how ignorant his father was. But once Twain had got out in the world and learned a few things here and there, he was amazed when he came back at how much the old boy had learned in the last several years. <laughs> that's what we also see with archaeology when now with more science happening with new tools to do this and with more open eyes and by that i mean in the past you didn't see much about women or children or people mm -hmm. of color reflected in most history books you didn't see uh, you, you there were books written about titans of industry not the folks that were there working every day mm -hmm. archaeology connects us to that but so too does history and an interest in those things so to find out now that prehistoric people, and I mean really prehistoric people, 14, 15, 20, 30, even 100,000 years ago, are smart and intelligent, they're playing music, they're building structures. That's not something that was in the books when I was growing up. Every generation challenges the previous, and that's true for archeology span as well. And so through that process, it's been fun in the 50 years I've been doing this to see those perspectives 
change and now to work alongside such an amazing group of younger scholars who truly reflect the world as it is. In other words, not everybody else on that boat or in that trench looks like me. Jim Delgado, thank you so much for joining us for Florida's Fourth Estate. I could talk to you all day, man. Uh, you're a fascinating say, character. When you're back in Florida, please call us. We'll meet you anywhere for a cup of coffee. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> And thank you for watching Florida's Fourth Estate. You can download it from wherever you listen to podcasts or watch anytime on News 6 Plus.